would like to follow the reading in the Bible beside you, turn to page 1162. And there's a little bit on the facing page as well, because it's the second letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, followed by chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is the word of the Lord. second reading is taken from John chapter 20 and we'll be reading verses 26 through to 31 and that's on page 1089 and overleaf onto 1090. A week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of our Lord. Good morning. Great to see you. As Mike said, my name's Jim, and I'm married to Sarah. And for the last eight years or so, I've been the senior minister at Caution Baptist Church up in the top of the city. But I've recently stepped down to focus on a, a wider ministry of 
teaching and writing and training. And so it's a whole new season for me and a kind of scary step of faith. I'm also doing a little bit of what you might call tent making, working for Marie Potter, who I think some of you know, who does estate planning and uh, probate here in the city, Christian business. And so it's all, all new to me. But it also means I get to be here with you. So I'm the one who's blessed. It's really great to be among you. You're, you're obviously a hardy bunch. I was just sitting there thinking I feel a little bit cold. And then almost everyone who came up seemed to be wearing shorts. So I, 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 was, I, felt, a bit, I felt a bit less manly than I thought I was before that. I, I was privileged to speak at the 9 o'clock service. And uh, that was kind of just sort of the run through. So, you know, you get the polished version now. In fact... At Caution Baptist today, uh, the preacher's canon Andrew White. So I can't pretend to uh, compare with that, although I understand you're going to have your own canon here in Mike before too long. So I feel a little bit uh, inferior. I feel like, who is it who said, uh, canon's to the left of me, canon's to the right of me? <laughs> I wonder, Mike, if uh, once you're uh, canonized, will you have a bit more influence and you'll be able to say, next week is happening and it will happen. But who knows, maybe that's too much to ask for. Seriously, though, I wanted to say that I'm here on, on the invitation of Mike, who I have a, a, enormous respect for. And so I just wanted to say that if by any chance I happen to say anything that is in any way different from what Mike has been teaching you, then he's right. Okay? <laughs> Deal? Deal. I want to start with a, a parable. And it's a parable from Soren Kierkegaard, and he used to tell lots of parables about geese, because uh, in Denmark, uh, where he was from, you know, the, he's a Danish philosopher, uh, he used to do his work and sit writing his books. He had a sort of holiday home, a sort of shack, on the top of a, va a valley, top of a mountain, and down into the, the valley, at the bottom, there was a goose farm. And so as he sat and wrote his uh, great thoughts about life, he would watch this goose farm, and he would see all the things that went on, and they would give him ideas about spiritual truths. And he said he saw the same thing every year. In the spring, the geese would hatch, the little goslings would hatch, and they would look up at the sky, for they were made by God to fly. And they would stare at the sky, and something within them would tell them that one day I will be soaring on those clouds. And, and within a few days, they would start to flap their little tiny wings and, and sort of run up and down on their tiny little legs. And they would squawk to each other. But then a, a lorry would arrive and it was unload onto the farmyard a mountain of grain, far higher than the little goslings could see. And so they would stop looking up and they would look down and start to peck the grain. Am I not on? I'm getting looked at. Here we are. I'm on here. Hello, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. What's next? Ten. I did it. There we are. Good stuff. Welcome. My name's Jim. No, it's right. <laughs> so these geese, they would start to peck the grain. And every time the, the grain of, went down a bit, another lorry would arrive and unload another mountain of grain and they would keep pecking. For you see, these were table geese. And as Kierkegaard watched and the weeks turned into months, these geese grew fat and bloated and you see they were being fattened up for, for the slaughterhouse. And as he noticed that after a while they didn't look up at the sky anymore, they would just look down and peck the grain and just wait for the next lorry load of grain. 
except for one week every September, when the wild geese would fly overhead. And for the first time in months, these table geese would would look up and they would see their wild cousins flying overhead, these migrating geese, gracefully chasing the sun, looking for spring. And for the first time in months, they they would look up and, and they would start to try and flap these underdeveloped wings that they had and they would sort of waddle up and down on their tiny little stumpy legs and they would squawk but then the wild geese would be gone and they would simply look down again and peck the grain and so my question for you this morning is this are you a wild goose or a table goose do you know what it is to live by faith and not by sight daring to believe that our God is able to do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us, says the Scriptures? Or are you content to live with a status quo, the life of least resistance? That's my question for you this morning. I've been thinking a lot lately about the wilderness wanderings in Exodus, and It's true, I think, that at the point whereby they'd left slavery and Egypt was so far behind that they'd forgotten how bad it was, but they hadn't yet entered the promised land and they couldn't quite see the flowing milk and honey, they got stuck in the middle. Stuck, wandering around the wilderness, stuck pecking the grain, or more accurately, pecking the manna. I came across this cartoon, which I, I found funny. This is kind of my sense of humor. And this is, uh, it says, Israel's wilderness years were not good times for eating out. And here's the uh, menu in the wilderness. Uh, cooked manna, crushed manna, manna cakes, manna with mud, manna with sand, manna with maggots, brackets, mornings only. Exodus 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses. In Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and we had all we could want to eat. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But you, Moses, you've brought us out into the desert to starve to death. In short, they lost the vision for where they were going. And they got stuck in the wilderness and they blamed the vicar. As I was praying for you this week, as a church, I just got the sense that maybe for you too, you're in the middle point between the old and the new. You've left the old way of doing things behind. You've passed the point of no return, but you you can't quite yet visualize what this new vision will look like. And this is the point at which it is so easy to lose vision. And gift day is all about vision. A bit later on in Exodus 32, 18, Moses and Joshua are coming down the mountain. And Joshua hears this sound. It sounds like a sound of, of, of rejoicing. And he says to Moses, is that the sound of victory in the camp? And Moses says these are most amazing words. Look it up when you get home. Exodus 32, 18. He says to Joshua, it is neither the sound of victory nor the sound of defeat. It is just the sound of singing. When I first read those words, I was so impacted because at that time I was coming along to church on a Sunday. I was going through the motions of the Christian life. 
But I was suddenly aware that as I was coming to worship, it was neither the sound of victory nor the sound of defeat, just the sound of singing. I was trying to find a quote this week, but I couldn't find it. But it goes something like this. Our churches are full of the most well-rounded, lovely people who know nothing of the depths of despair or the heights of breathless wonder. I'm sure that's not true of you, but it was true of me at that time. And so this verse spoke so clearly to me. And so when Joshua takes over, he has a really tough job. He has to somehow break the people out of their languishing and going round in circles and take them into God's promise. And so one of the techniques he uses is to put down milestones, markers in the sand as a reminder of where they've been and where they're going. For example, Joshua 4, he says to the heads of the tribes, each of you must go into the Jordan River and pick up one stone and bring it to me. And we will use these stones to build a memorial. And in the future, when your children say to you, what is that memorial for? You will be able to say, they remind us of what the Lord has done among us. And this is what today is all about. It's not about money not even about persuading you to do sit on a rotor you don't particularly want to sit on. I heard that uh, churches are a bit like a football team. There's uh, 2,000 people in desperate, in the, desperate need of exercise and 12 people in desperate need of a rest. But anyway, that's another story. Or what was the other one? Church is like a helicopter. If you get too close, you'll get sucked into the rotors. Anyway, we move on. I'm going away from my notes. Today is all about saying to God, Lord, what is on your heart for this church? And how can I get involved in what you're about doing? You see, there's no rewards in heaven for things God hasn't asked you to do. But you'll miss out on the blessing if you don't do what he has asked you to do. And that's what's happening here in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is boasting to one church about how the other church had got hold of this principle. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the churches over in Macedonia. For out of the most severe trial and overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able, great, tick, and even more than they were able. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of giving to the saints. I'm sure that Mike, every Monday morning, gets one of you ringing up urgently pleading for the privilege of giving to the church. Is that true? Mike, please let me give some more to the work of the church. And he says to you, no, 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 sister, you've given enough this week. Oh, please, Mike, just let me give a little more, please. Perhaps not. Because you see, that only happens when people grasp God's vision for their community. Proverbs 29, verse 18, without vision... The people perish. They don't literally die. They just die on the inside. Languishing. Accepting the comfortable status quo. Content to peck the grain. John, at the end of his gospel, we just heard it read. John 20, 31. He writes this little footnote. I've written these things. Why did he bother writing it all? So that people might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and by believing might have life in his name. That's the purpose of gift day. 
That's the purpose of all the activities that are going on and these wonderful facilities. Not so you have somewhere more comfortable to sit on a Sunday morning. Sorry to break it to you. Not to give you something to do in a weekend after you've read the papers, but so that people might believe. And by believing may have life in his name. Back to 2 Corinthians 8, and Paul goes on. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. This is really important. Not reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. So just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in love, see to that you also excel in the grace of giving. In other words, and my second point, giving is all about joy. I'm aware of the time. I'll speak faster. I mean, I'll speak... Anyway. Giving is something that we can excel at. Have you ever thought about that? The same way you seek to excel at sports or marriage or work. It's like if I buy Sarah flowers and I come home and bring her flowers. She drops what she's doing. She runs. Oh, you brought me flowers and and they're my favorite color. And she puts them in a vase. And if I said to her, well, you know, I thought I ought to buy you flowers because, you know, I didn't put the bins out this morning. Or if I said to her, well, you know, it's my duty. I'm your husband. I thought, you know, I've got to buy you flowers because I'm your husband. Or if I said, well, I was passing the garage and they were throwing them out and they were only a pound. (laughs) Would she even want the flowers anymore? Because you see, it's not the flowers that make her happy, is it? It's the thought. It's my heart. And I think really that's what's going on here in 2 Corinthians 8. God says, if you give 10% of your income to get me off your back, to get into my good books, then you can keep it. I don't actually want your songs and your prayers. Well, I want them, but I don't actually need them. don't need your money. You've missed the point. I actually want your heart. Do you know that hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender? Do you, do you sing that one here? It's a, scary, it's a scary hymn. Let's just sing some of it now. How's your singing voice? Just sing with me. All to Jesus I surrender all. To him I freely give. bit louder. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily. All together. I surrender 10%. I surrender 10%. Whoa, whoa, sorry. What version are you singing? You're not. Wow. You're a people of faith. Did you sing I surrender all? Did you mean it? You see, we get so brainwashed by the world's values and a bit of money comes in from Auntie Flo and we think, well, great, we'll put a conservatory on. Nothing wrong with the conservatory. But it misses the step of first saying, Lord, this is your money. What would you want to do with it? As I come into land, my final point is this. It's all about God. It's his mission, not yours. It's his church, not yours. It's his money, not yours. But so often we get it all back to front. Almost as though we're given the message that God is always desperately short of cash. You get that impression? And he could really do with a bit of mine. And not helping God out with a few quid is like driving past a little old lady in a country lane with a flat tyre. And God is the old lady, and we're the ones passing. And, oh, surely you'll help God out a little bit, won't you? And after all, we're told, 
think of all he's done for you. What sort of ungrateful Christian would you be if you didn't give, give a little back to God? And the good news is, the more you give, the more he'll be pleased with you. Is that the message we get? In fact, if you don't give to God, then you'll make him sad. You might hurt his feelings. You don't want to hurt God's feelings, do you, after he's been so kind to you? Go on, give God a few quid and you'll make him happy and he'll like you. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. We don't give money, serve in church, pray to get into God's good books. God loves you not because you're good, but because he's good. In fact, there's nothing you could do to make God love you any more. Nothing you could do to make God love you any less. If you never give another penny, and if I never preach another sermon, God will love us just the same. It's called grace. But you know, in response to his goodness, in response to his love, in response to his grace, we give, we pray, we serve as a free will expression of our gratitude. And here's the rub. Here's the take home. The only time Jesus is directly quoted in the Bible outside of the Gospels, there's Jesus' words filtered through, but the only time it says, here's what Jesus said, is in Acts 20, 35. Does anyone know what it is? You got it. You got it. It is more blessed to give than to receive. What if that summarizes the whole gospel? Jesus' entire mission and purpose can be summed up in two words. He gave. And so we're never more like Jesus than when we give. Let me pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for my friends here, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done in their lives. Thank you for the way they've served you faithfully over so many years. Lord, you know all that's going on in their lives today. You, you say in Revelation 2, I know your affliction. But Lord, because we believe your word, we dare to believe that you've not finished with us yet. We dare to believe that however little we think of ourselves, you call us sons and daughters of the king. And Lord, you are the expert at using the stones the builders rejected. And your word says you've chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the proud and chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong. So in our weakness, in our failing and stumbling faith, we put our trust in you because we trust you with our lives. And we give to you back our whole lives in order that you might use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.